Uh, I was having an interesting conversation yesterday about how there are, on the surface, can be few things that separate us from the world. Acts of love and charity are not necessarily unique to the Christian faith, but the why is, right? We do it because Jesus loved us first, because Jesus modeled that kind of sacrificial, intimate, radical love. And so to that point, I want to say that we here at First Pres, we think it's important not just to talk about how or why we love Jesus, but we want to actually live like him and to love like him. And one of the most beautiful things we see in Scripture is how Jesus acknowledges and honors the particularity of individuals, especially those on the margins. That is why we celebrate Black History Month this month. And so we follow in Jesus' footsteps by celebrating the unique existence, struggles, story, presence, gifts, joys, and sorrows of our black siblings during this Black History Month. We are better and richer for your presence. All right, folks, this morning I have two very exciting announcements for you. First, things first, it is February, which means we survived January, first month of 2024, which felt kind of like an entire year in and of itself. Now, after an intense holiday season, one might advise you to, you know, ease into the new year, catch your bearings, don't go too hard, that kind of thing. And apparently we didn't get that memo. So instead, we went full throttle with three packed weeks of rock star preachers and speakers contemplating the kind of questions that we are so often afraid to ask. The kind of questions that people leave church or even their Christian faith over. But actually, in our case, these were the kind of questions that brought a lot of people back to church, we found, in the month of January. It was good, church. But can I be honest? It was also hard, church. After all, there is a very good chance that some of the speakers you knew and some you didn't. Some shared your worldview and opinions and some didn't. Some used new words to remind you of old things, and some used old words to teach you new things. But in the end, by the grace of God, each one did exactly what I hoped and prayed for. They showed us that the gospel is a whole lot bigger than we ever hoped for or imagined, and that God's love is a whole lot bigger than we ever hoped for or imagined. So let me just take a moment right now and say thank you. Thank you for showing up week after week, even when it was hard. Thank you for welcoming our guests into the pulpit with warmth and curiosity. Trust me, they felt it. Each one mentioned how welcome they felt. Thank you for extending belonging to those who unexpectedly found themselves in church on a Sunday. And thank you for your faithfulness your humility, your curiosity, and your generosity. So with that, I have another announcement. Back in September of 2023, your stewardship committee met to determine our 2024 pledge goal. 
When deciding what our goal should be, it would have been easy, maybe even advisable, to base this number on the economy or worship attendance. But instead, our fearless leader, Sherry Dabney, stopped us and said, if we really do see the spirit at work at First Pres, then why wouldn't we also expect to see the spirit at work in our giving? You can't argue with that logic. So right then and there, we set a very big stretch goal, the biggest goal we've ever had, of $2.6 million. And I thought to myself, even if we came close to last year's pledge total of $2.4 million, it would be amazing. God is faithful, right? Well, as your senior pastor, it is part of my job to let you know that we actually did not meet our 2024 pledge goal. We exceeded it. The most generous amount... the most generous amount this church has pledged to date. So again, let me say thank you, not so much for your gifts, but for pushing and expanding my expectations of God. Thank you for investing your hope in Christ. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Beloved, with that, let us pray. Speak, Lord through the wind and the rain, through word and through deed, for we, your servants, are listening. Help us to listen what you would have us hear, and not just what we want to hear or we are used to hearing. Give more of you to us this and every day. We pray this in the saving and powerful name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So dramatic. I kind of like it. <laughs> Friends, while we have officially wrapped up our January speaker series, that doesn't mean that we are done with our winter sermon series, questions that we are afraid to ask. Today's question is this. Do I belong? Joining me in the pulpit today are two of our youth, so not guest speakers. They're our own homegrown preachers. Olivia Fry and Lenny Gustafson. Now, why these two? They haven't written any books about any books in the Bible. They haven't gone to seminary. But as Ben, Bride, ben McBride reminded us, those who are closest to the problem are also closest to the solution. And friends, it is safe to say that the church and today's youth each have a fair share of our own problems around belonging. Olivia and Lenny are both seniors in high school. They were both raised in the church and are both card-carrying members of Generation Z, the generation most likely to go to college, yet least likely to read their Bibles, the generation that appears to be the most open to Jesus, yet least open to the church. Today's youth are boldly using their voices and their resources to change the world to be more sustainable and just. And yet, just two years ago, a coalition of the nation's leading health experts, including the American Academy of Pediatrics, the Children's Hospital Association, and the American Academy of Children and Adolescent Psychiatry, declared a national emergency in the mental health crisis among young people in this nation. 
Friends, in many ways, this conversation is long overdue. And yet I am so grateful to be having it in this way. So beloved, listen up. For God is speaking and continues to speak to us. Hear now a reading from the Gospel according to John, chapter 10. So again, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own knows me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd, for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. All right, get comfy. So many of our folks here today either know you well because they've seen you get baptized and grow up in this church, or they don't know you at all, or what is probably most likely is that there are a lot of people in this room who think they know you because you grew up in the church. So why don't we just clear up all the confusion and have you tell us a little bit about yourselves in your own words. Thank you, Charlene. Good morning, everyone. As she so wonderfully introduced us, my name is Lenny Gustafson. I'm a senior in high school at Bishbo Dowd in Oakland. Um, and as she also said, I've been going here for the last 17 years of my life since I was baptized by Pastor John McPaul, Josh McPaul, excuse me, way back in the day. Um, and if you don't know me, some things about me, um, I have spent a lot of time working in children's ministry, where I am known as Teacher Lenny by our youth and Rosemary, and I am very excited to be here today. Thanks, Lenny. Hi, I'm Olivia Fry. I am, like she said, a senior. I am currently attending Alameda High School. I have been at the part of this church my entire life. I was baptized at Mount Hermon, and I'm very, very excited to be here today. I have not been a part of this church for, like, currently a long time, and I'm excited to be back. Thank you for being here. 
So one of the most beautiful things I think about church community in general and this church community in particular is that it is intergenerational. So just a few minutes ago, we said farewell to our youngest members and those are members of Generation Alpha or iGen. In the pews right now are six, maybe even seven generations. The greatest generation, the silent generation, baby boomers, Gen X, millennials, and Gen Z. Now, seeing the two of you in church up front in all your Gen Z glory is kind of like spotting a unicorn on Telegraph Avenue, meaning it is a rare and, dare I say, even impossible sighting. So we need you to actually teach the six to seven other generations that are in this room what it is like to be Gen Z. What are the biggest challenges and the biggest hopes of today's youth? I think Gen Z in general have become very reliant on a lot of things. So for instance, we are the age that have grown up with social media. We've seen it grow, we've seen it expand in good and bad ways. Um, I think the COVID-19 pandemic was where we really saw social media do its worst in a lot of ways because we were so confined in one space and that was the only way we could look out onto the world. And with that, we started comparing ourselves, and we started a really big game of judgment. Mm. We started judging everyone around us, even if it wasn't conscious, we were, and everyone around us was judging us for what we were doing, what we were saying, what we were thinking. Cancel culture became so prominent. Everything we were doing could be canceled like that. So today, we really need to look past that and think, what can we do to not judge people, but bring them into a conversation of, maybe we've made a mistake. How can we talk about that? And how can we change that as a whole? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that Gen Z is facing a lot of the same problems as everyone else. Um, and those being uh, coming back from like the COVID-19 pandemic and reintegrating with society. Um, but we, being the young people we are, are still trying to figure ourselves out. Um, and like, on, we do that sometimes, as Olivia said, on social media and um, in our friend groups and tr just doing what we can to find a community and or build one for ourselves. Yeah just however, however we can. So yesterday, um, the elders had the opportunity to hear from the new president of Princeton Theological Seminary. So he gave a, a big speech, training thing for all the elders and deacons. And you would think that maybe he would talk about like the cutting edge new stuff that's happening in the field of theological education, maybe a new movement within biblical exegesis. He talked about your generation and how uh, Gen Z is most likely to take on individual, the pressures and weight of individual success and failure more than any other generation. So talking about social media is a perfect example, is putting on display your success or your failure, right? And so in the midst of that, I like both of you were talking about in COVID, being kind of isolated, estranged, all of these things emerges a desire, a very human, honest desire for connection, for acceptance, for community. 
And yet, you and your peers are the least religious generation in history and are the least likely to participate or attend in church. And yet, overwhelmingly, I think it's like 77% of Gen Z have favorable opinions or feelings about Jesus. So can you explain that conundrum? Uh, would you feel, for example, would you feel comfortable inviting a friend to church? Why or why not? Um, nowadays, when the youth from my experience has looked at church, it's been this very, very negative thing. They see what is online, of that the church is wants to condemn everyone if you're not in a certain category. They don't see it as accepting. So if you're not in that category, which a lot of people nowadays aren't, like you don't want to come to a place where you're going to be told, I am not wanted. Mm. So, but what I have noticed is, for instance, I read Paradise Lost this year in school. And we had a lot of conversations in small groups. And my small group particularly was really fascinated by the idea of just God in general and the world that God was able to create. And I had never had so many conversations about people wanting to invest in time with God. And I think especially, like Charlene said, after COVID, like people want something to believe in. It's mm -hmm. something they don't want something to believe in, but they don't want to come here and all of a sudden be like, why am I believing in this thing when I'm now told that I'm not welcome? Mm -hmm. So I think that's where I've had a hard time inviting people to church is I've seen that judgment and I've seen those things firsthand and I have never, or in a lot of ways, not wanted to bring someone to church out of fear that it was going to look bad on me if somebody came up to one of my friends and there was not a level of respect there. So I think that's something that we really need to take into account now especially. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I think it circles back to the idea of radical belonging that you were talking about. Um, I didn't one, tell him to say that, by the way. <laughs> one, one of the things that, um, that while we were preparing for this conversation, um, Olivia brought up, which really stuck with me, is that we, the youth, are experiencing um, the phenomenon of social media and you were saying how that is a world of judgment. Social media is a world of judgment. So the last thing the youth want to see is when they come into church to face the same judgment, right? The church needs to be a place of this radical belonging so that the youth can have a place that is separate from their world of judgment and I think that the issue is that the church has not been that. So, I mean, it's true. I did not tell him to say that. If anything, the youth from day one have been guiding uh, what, guiding my leadership and my focus in this church. Even before I like had, was on my first day on the job, I had a Zoom with the youth group. And one of the things they talked about was radical welcome. And... It, the only natural next step from radical welcome, you can f say hi to someone, shake their hand at the door, 
But if they don't feel like they actually belong in the pews, then we've only gone so far. And so not only did I not prod them to say that, if anything, it's been the opposite. The youth have been challenging me on what radical belonging really means. So I do want to actually, because that's a very elusive word. What is belonging? It's like one of those new pretty kind of kitschy words that we're saying in society all over the place. But like, do we actually know what it means? So you all picked this passage for today. And it is a challenging passage on belonging. And so why did you pick it? What are you seeing in here that is the kind of belonging that needs to be modeled in the church? Um, this passage talks about Jesus being the gate, right? And how it's his job to bring the other flock, the, his other sheep, to pasture. And I think that one of the things about radical belonging is the idea of being unconditionally welcoming and unconditionally loving. You don't know who's in the other flock, right? You, it's your job to be open to welcoming them no matter what, because mm. Jesus is opening the gate for them. Mm. Um, and that's, that's his whole message. Yeah, amen. Yeah, absolutely. I think the thing that really connected with me about this is that faith isn't linear, that we're really supposed, we can take our time with faith. It's not just you go on one path and then you leave and things happen in your life and all of a sudden you're not welcome back. You're always welcome back. God's in your corner no matter what's happening. And it's just about taking the time and then being able to say, wow, I'm ready. I want this relationship again. And you can go off that path again. It's not saying you, can, you only have three strikes and you're out. It's saying you have as much time as you need to build a relationship, which I think is prevalent to everyone. I think everyone has had their moments where they've taken a step away from God in whatever way that is. And whether that's come back now or is waiting to come back, that's okay. And that's, we should all have that time to build an important relationship. So this passage models this kind of unconditional belonging and Jesus's relentlessness. I mean, I feel like this, these were themes that were brought up in the month of January throughout each of the speakers is God's desire to be in relationship with us. And we belong to God, whether we like it or not, kind of a thing. Um, now, here is the hard question. And y'all know that I've had multiple conversations with these amazingly courageous youth. And so um, we kind of were prepared and we walked through the possibility of having hard, hard conversations. Have you always experienced that belonging in church? No. I think... I'll be honest, there's been a stretch of about five years where I have not wanted to step foot in this building because of experiences I've had where I've basically been told, you're not wanted here. And being told that, especially in middle school, is not a fun thing. You're already going to school with people who you don't feel like you belong around and then coming here and being told by another group of people, we don't want you. And then also having to experience asking for help and wanting that help, and then being told no. I think 
I've wanted to belong here for a very long time, and there was a point where I just said no more, and I didn't want to be here because I felt a level of resentment. For a long time, I thought it was toward God. I thought I had a resentment toward God because why was I being put through this? Mm. Why is he forcing me to go through these things? And in the past couple months, like after having these conversations, I've really understood that it wasn't God. It was God and the church are two different things. And God was putting me through this because there was a purpose to it. Like I would not be the person sitting in front of you today if I hadn't gone through these experiences in the church. And I think in the past couple of months too, I've built that relationship back with God where I can say like, I love God and I want to have that relationship with the church again, but that takes time. I can't just come here today and be like, I love the church again. It's going to take time for me to build that relationship back and have those conversations and to where I can be here again and feel like I'm not going to be told again that I'm not wanted. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Olivia. Um, I would say that I've grown up with the church very present in my life. Um, and have I felt belonging? Yes. But there's always been a disconnect and uh, instability that's um, taken that back um, for me. I, I remember hearing things from like my parents and uh, that were sort of strange that I wasn't expecting um, when talking about what was going on while I was in godly play up, uh, up in the church, up at the pulpit. Um, and I would never really understand why, why is that happening? Why is there these issues in this place that, um, you know, you go to look for, for God, right? It's, it's the, the prophet's finger. It's showing you mm. where God is. Um, and I think that that experience, me feeling, um, that this place was not the rock it was supposed to be took away from that welcome. And you asked before, would I invite a friend to church? And I've wanted to say yes to that question. And I have invited friends to church, but I would need to see, I would need to be certain that they, that they would feel welcome before I would consider doing that. Mm. And um, there are ways to do that. Um, but this, this place not being that rock has given me that uncertainty mm. when I've wanted and I have felt welcome here before. And that uncertainty is, um, is what is, is detracting from, from the radical belonging that we're searching for here. Yeah. So the... The feeling of exclusion or judgment at church is not unique to one generation. I think we can all admit that. And one of the most common things I actually hear as a pastor is lament over um, adults who say that my children, my youth, my young adult children no longer go to church. Um, or I'm so worried about this generation that's struggling with uh, amazing, immense mental health struggles. Or I have young children, and I don't know how to make relevant or prioritize their faith in this world that 
doesn't necessarily prize or value um, religious community or belonging. And so this is a very real thing that is weighing on the hearts of many of you. And I would say what is hopeful and what is being said here, as hard as it is, is that there is a desire for this, this generation to belong in church. Like they desire community and radical belonging and they actually are open to the possibility that it might happen in church as imperfect as it is. So yes, to both of your points, church is not God, God is not church. But at our very best, we hope that God is inspiring and within and moving through our actions and our being and our preaching and our everything, right? So um, please throw some wisdom our way. How can the church cultivate radical belonging? I think the first step is, from what I've witnessed, there's a level of entitlement that I feel like we all have sometimes where it's a thing of like, I'm going to accept you, but I'm not going to accept you today, which makes no sense to me because we are all considered God's children. We're all on an even playing field here. Why do we get to pick and choose who belongs here? This is supposed to be a place where we're all coming in here to get a little peace of mind before we go into an, our week and like worship. We all want to be here to like talk to God, to have that relationship. So why would we turn someone away for that? Why would we say, no, you can't be here right now? That's, that shouldn't happen. Like, this is a community that we should be saying, welcome, how are you today? Tell me about yourself. And we should be taking those stories that people tell us and taking those experiences and growing with them and taking them into the church because the church is not a box. We are an ever-growing thing that should be able to take change and run with it. Like, if somebody has had a hard experience and wants to then say, I want to like create something and have these conversations, we used to say yes, and we should jump on that because there's probably other people who have gone through that too, and everyone deserves to be seen here. No matter what, everyone, no matter what you've gone through in your life, no matter what you've seen, everyone who comes in here deserves to have a relationship with God and be seen for what they've had happen to them in their lives. Mm. Amen. Olivia, I think that idea of being seen is really at the crux of this conversation. Um, the youth want to be seen. That is undebatable. Um, I think that one of, the, one of the things that can happen is we will look at others for who, how we want to see them um, and not how they want to be seen. For example, many of you know me as either Teacher Lenny or Jan and Kristen's son, um, and that's great, that's fine, but there's so much more, and there's so much more to every youth and to every one of you as well. So I think that what should be one of the church's priorities is reaching out and figuring out how can we welcome these people by letting them feel seen? How do we ask them and inquire, how, like, what is your true self? We're here for you. We're going to welcome you. Yeah. And I want you to tell me what, who you are. Yeah. Y'all, 
Um, oof, pride is not the word to describe what I'm feeling. So one of the things, I have copious notes from the hours I've spent with these amazing individuals. And in them was a bit of wisdom that kind of just knocked me off my feet. It was in answering this question of what is the wisdom that we can offer the church? And it was, how do you feel seen? And how do you feel welcome? Take that and, and apply that to somebody else. Because I think there is this moment right now where a lot of us are feeling invisible or unseen in some way, shape, or form. And in that invisibility, there is a t temptation to just shrink further back and, and not even be able to look around and see that there are countless other people who are feeling the exact same way. And so one of the, the, in one of the pages of notes from both of you, the charge was this. Think about how you experience belonging and extend that belonging to somebody else. And know that our youth, who are not just going to lead the church, they are leading our church, are going to help us show the way. So um, applause feels like a weird thing, but let's just do, um, let's just thank these Lenny and Olivia for bringing their story and their word for us today. Again, thank you. Friends, the table is bigger than we could ever imagine. There is more food than we ever thought possible. If there aren't enough chairs, guess what? We can go get some more chairs. So let us prepare our hearts and our souls and our bodies and our minds for feasting at the Lord's table.